0: We're going to be in Psalm 74 this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for how you have blessed us so abundantly here in America. And and I personally, and I I think most of us in this room, we don't take it for granted, Lord. We're just so stinking blessed. And Father, I just thank you and praise you for that. But Lord, we don't want to just sit on it. We don't want to be complacent, lazy, lackadaisical. We don't want to store up for a rainy day when we might die today. Lord, help us to have that balance in our lives where we do plan for the future, but we don't overplan. We look at the present and we look at how we can maybe impact someone's life for all of eternity today. So, Lord, stir our hearts for your glory, not for guilt or condemnation or any of that nonsense, but just for your glory, Father, that we do even as Jesus instructed us to do, to store up treasure in heaven. Where thieves cannot steal, where moths cannot eat, where rust does not corrupt. For where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So, Lord, get our hearts focused on eternity. Even this morning, as we study your word here in Psalm 74, Lord, we see a nation who got their eyes off of eternity, got their eyes on the temporal satisfactions of this life, and they lost it all. They were taken off the land. And Father, we see our nation in many aspects. Our eyes as a nation are not on you, not on your word, not on being like-minded and seeking after your way. So, Lord, give us wisdom as believers, the remnant of believers in this country, that we would stay focused in these wicked days. Again, for your glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 74. If you're new or visiting, we're going through the whole book of Psalms, so we're almost halfway there. A contemplation of Asaph. Now, as you hear that name, this is not the same Asaph that we just learned about last week, although he carries the same name. This psalm was most likely written out of the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. So it's 400 years after the time frame of David, King David. And at this time in history, Israel as a whole, as a whole country, has been destroyed. The ten northern tribes have been removed off of the land by the Assyrians, and now the two southern tribes have been taken captive to Babylon. You see, it was a very, and for you and me today, we just cannot appreciate this at all. I mean, the Civil War obviously took place on our homeland. But that was a civil war. That was the North and the South. We just cannot appreciate uh, what we have, I think, at times. And here Israel had it all, but they, they lost it all due to idol worship. And this is a warning for us, even in America, and especially the church. Because it was a very dark time in the life of the psalmist. But we will see, even in the psalm, One that does not end without hope. So Psalm 74, verses 1 through 8. Oh God, why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Now again, remember, as as these psalmists, as they write, they are expressing their hearts. It's not necessarily theology, the things that they share sometimes, but it is practical. It is what they are feeling. It is what they are going through. So for you and me, sometimes we might have a hard time understanding this. Well, why would why would they be writing this? I thought God was their God. So again, that's why I just gave you that, that little bit of history. You can do a whole lot more on your own. But they've lost it all. And they're now in Babylon. So the psalmist here is expressing what's going on. Why did this happen? Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old. The tribe of your inheritance, which you have redeemed. Notice that, that hope. Even though we are in a foreign land, we have lost it all, I'm going to remember who you are. That you are God, and that you have redeemed us. And that you have redeemed me. Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. They seem like men who lift up axes among the thick trees. And now they break down his carved work all at once. Again, this is hard for us to imagine But the temple was beautiful. It was absolutely gorgeous. But then to see invading armies come in and literally tear it apart. Stone by stone and taking and demolishing the beautiful carvings that were a part of the temple. This would leave a lasting impression upon your mind and your heart. With axes and hammers. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them all together. I don't know if you saw the article yesterday, but that peaceful religion of Islam that the Iranians have, one of their top commanders said yesterday, we will see Israel totally removed from the land within 25 years. If you're not in the word of God and if you're not in the news and understanding the word of God, you have no clue of what's going on. Just so you know, America is the big Satan in the eyes of Iran. Their number one goal is to destroy America. Their number two goal, destroy Israel. Wipe them off the face of the map. Not give them a little country in the back corner of this world. No, to, to totally eliminate every Jew that lives in Israel. Because they're promoted by Satan. I'm not politically correct. I'm just biblically correct. It's called the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist. Now, are all Iranians like that? No, I'm, I'm not saying that. But this is what their policy is as a nation from political aspects. There are Christians in Iran. There are people coming to Christ in Iran. So as I say these things, don't go on the extreme. But you do need to know what's going on. Because they say, hey, we're peacefully seeking after nuclear power. That's all we want, nuclear power to generate. That's a lie from the pit of hell. They've already committed. When we get a nuclear weapon, we are going to use it. And they're going to use it on Israel. That's that's fact. The Gaza Strip? The same fact. That's their charter. Not to just dig a tunnel so we can send a few guys in and kill a few Israelis. If you're reading the newspaper at all, that is their charter to totally eliminate Israel. Push them into the Mediterranean Sea. How long can you tread water? This is their goal. And so these, this, this psalmist here is, is just, we've lost it all. We've been totally annihilated. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews have been killed at the hands of the enemies. And thousands and thousands and thousands have been taken captive. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. It says here, they said in their hearts, let us destroy them all together. The enemies of Israel. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. You see, he asked the first question is, is right there in verse 1. Oh God, why have you cast us off? Why have you cast us off? It's a very good question. Yet the question has an obvious answer. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. You see, the Jewish people as a whole were reaping what they had sown. If you want to do a study in Galatians, this applies to you and me as believers. Believers. We have to be careful what we sow because we will reap. Well, in Isaiah 44, verse 14, we read this. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn. For he will make some of it and he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a God. Here's the problem. He makes a God and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm." I have seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a God. His carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, the Holy Spirit says through Isaiah. They do not know nor understand. For he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge, nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on his coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it and I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes A deceived heart. Notice that. For you and me. You know, we don't have these idols, so to speak. But we can create our own idols. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Anything that we place above God is an idol. Whether it's our careers, or our children, or our 401K. whatever You fill in the blank. If you have something that is more important to you than God, If you spend more time studying the stock market and you don't have a private devotional time, there's your answer. Let's make it real simple. Well, how do I know if I'm doing that? If you spend more time with your children, consumed with your children, so that you don't have time to read your Bible, there's your idol. There's your idol. What consumes you? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that that you don't go to work. We all go to work. We have those responsibilities. So don't go to any extreme. Keep it in context. But what consumes you? You know, for a while there, when I was working at Motorola, I had stock. And every morning, I checked the paper. And that stock went up and up and up. And I was just like, yes! But I didn't sell it. Greed. And it split. Two for one split. And it came all the way down. And I watched it again, and it went up and up and up, and I go, okay, good, 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 good. I didn't sell it. Greed. It went three for one. I finally said, forget it. I never looked it up ever again. I said, whatever it is, it is. God, you take care of it. I just got to stay focused on you. It happens. It can happen to any one of us. And as we're getting older, we are planning for retirement. But I'm still planning on being persecuted and dying for Christ. Somebody else is going to enjoy that, possibly. So my focus is still on Christ. But yes, I am planning for the future. And it's not above God. If it's there, great. If it's not, God, you're going to provide some other way. If it's a prison ministry, praise the Lord. I'd rather win somebody to heaven than die die and let others go to hell because I've got all my money to live for the kids. What do they need it for? Let them go to work, get busy, make your own money. Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Man, they're not going to appreciate it. So no one considers in his heart. So guys, for you and me this morning, it's very important that we evaluate our hearts because we can all be deceived. You see, Isaiah began his ministry around 740 B.C. David reigned around 1,000 B.C. So in 250 years, kind of interesting... He was living in Judea and encouraged repentance to the whole nation of Israel, to all 12 tribes, the northern tribes as well as the southern tribes. The northern tribes didn't heed his call and they were removed from the land in 721 BC by the Assyrians. Totally wiped out, taken off the land. Well, that'll never happen to America. Yeah, right. Now the southern tribes thought that since they had the temple in their midst, that they would be kept safe from the enemy. We have the temple. We have the temple. Now, the northern tribes, as you study the Bible, which you should be reading from Genesis to Revelation, you will see that the northern tribes had bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king, really bad king. They never had a good king, the northern tribes. Southern tribes, bad king, good king, good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king, good It was on, off, on, off. So they did last a little bit longer because there was repentance that was taking place. But they just thought, well, we've got the temple, so we're A-OK. God lives in that temple. Nobody can touch the temple because God lives there. Let's look at Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13. You see, they were trusting in a building when God was all about a personal relationship. And if you're here this morning and you're trusting in being religious, I just want to let you know, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're going to hell. God is not interested in your religion. He's interested in a personal relationship. And if you do not have a personal relationship, the Bible clearly states that you have chosen to not accept Jesus as your Savior, then that's your eternal damnation. Don't ever blame God. It's on your own head. And so Jeremiah came on the scene, and he began his ministry about 627 B.C., so about 100 years after Isaiah. He was living in Judea, and he encouraged the remaining two tribes to repent. So in Jeremiah 2.11, we read this. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? Guys, can we ask this of America? Can we be honest and mature enough to ask this of America? Yes, we've changed our gods. It's obvious. Who are we kidding? So there is a remnant that will always be a remnant that will believe in God and will focus on Jesus, and I want to be a part of that remnant, and there are other churches in our community that are part of that remnant. But that 3% that, that Pawnee's talking about in Cambodia, do the numbers in your head. We have, I think, 320 million Americans. Well, I was born in America. I'm a Christian. Ah, uh, no. Do we have 3%? Are there 3% in America that really believe that the Bible is true? That really believe church is important? That really believe Jesus is God and I receive Jesus as my Savior? Do we have 3%? Yeah, we got a lot of churches. But that doesn't make them Christian. Do we really have 3%? So for you and me, we 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 support missionaries, but we've got a huge missionary mission field right in our own backyard. And so we've got to look at this word and go, how is this? How does this impact me? Does this change my life at all? Or well, you know, I didn't like that study. He stepped on my toes. Put your toes under your chair. Grow up. Grow up. People are dying, going to hell. We're not here to play church. We're here to study the Bible. And how can this impact our lives? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Now, again, guys, you got to get the picture here. The northern tribes are gone. Totally wiped out. The Assyrians have come in, conquered the land. We've got the temple. We've, we've got our church. Well, I go to church on Sunday morning, so I'm fine. Are you sure? For what does not profit? Be astonished, O oh heavens, at this. Be... And be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Notice this. God says, my people, they've committed two evils. What's the first evil? They have forsaken me. And is a church in America, forsaken God. The big church, the big sea. Every church that says, yes, we are a part of the big C. Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, we are a part of the big C. Has the church in America abandoned God? Absolutely. There's no question. Absolutely. Is there a remnant? Yes, there are. But absolutely. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. You know, people are more panicked about the stock market than they are about their own church. Because most Americans don't even go to church. Church? Who goes to church? i got better things to do on a Sunday morning. I've got to mow the lawn. I work six days a week. i got to get other stuff done. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn themselves cisterns. Now, you might not know what a cistern is, but a cistern is a underground holding tank for water which in Israel is very desperately needed. And so when it would rain, they would dig channels throughout their property that would flow into these cisterns, and that cistern would hold enough water for months, if not for the whole year. They needed cisterns. They didn't have wells. They didn't have a city sewer system with a city water department. So they would dig out these cisterns. They've hewed themselves cisterns but God says, you know what they are? They're broken cisterns. Now, if you work for a year creating this cistern, chiseling and digging and digging, and then the rains come and you go, thank you, God, I have water. And then you go lift the lid off and you look in and there's no water. Because once the rains came and the pressure built up, tremendous amount of pressure builds up with water. All of a sudden it exposed that one crack that you didn't see and all of the water ran out through that crack. That's what God is saying. You've built a system around you of religiosity, of finances, of being a good person and it's got cracks throughout it. And that's what we deal with on a regular basis when we say, do you know God? Do you need Jesus? No, I'm a good person. You're a broken sister. You know, they, they're not going to understand that, so I wouldn't say say that. But I'm just, that's reality. You, before you knew Christ, what were you? A broken sister. You might have thought you looked good. You were busted. You were leaking all over the place. Other people saw it. They just didn't have enough guts to tell you. These things haven't changed much over the, the, the centuries. We see it within our nation, and we could definitely see it within the church universal, unfortunately. So the psalmist expresses this. We do not see our signs, verses 9 through 11. There are no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. Oh God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? Why do you withdraw your hand, even your right hand? And remember, the right hand is always symbolic of power. Take it out of your bosom and destroy them. Do me a favor, would you please? You see, again, the prophet Jeremiah had warned the people of Jerusalem about how long they would be taken captive. He told them exactly 70 years. And now, they didn't believe that, but now, because Jeremiah lived through Jerusalem actually being annihilated, they are now living Jeremiah's prophecy. 70 years You are going to Babylon for 70 years. That's a long time, guys. You see, in this particular case, Israel did know how long. He's asking how long? If they would have been listening, they would have known how long. 70 years. God warned them. 70 years. If you don't repent, 70 years. Well, we'll take our chances. Okay. You see, for us today, though, As we read our Bible, no one can really know how long the consequences of sin will last. You see, it's best to avoid sin altogether, which will allow us to avoid the consequences of sin. Unfortunately, we as believers, we commit sin, and then when we get busted, when we get caught, then we cry out to God, and then when it takes a week or a month or a year to get through the consequences, then all of a sudden we turn to God and say, well, how long? What's the problem here? Well, the problem was you, was me. And now these are the consequences that you've reaped. So be careful, guys, all of us, myself included. We need to be careful. Verses 12 through 17. For God is my king from of old. So now the psalmist here, Asaph, he turns to his own personal life. Working salvation in the midst of the earth. He was saved. He understood salvation. You divided the sea by your strength. And so now he's going to start talking about some of the attributes of God. That God, you've you created everything. You are big. You are strong. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. You broke open the fountain and the flood. You dried up mighty rivers. I have the next two verses highlighted. The day is yours. And the night also is yours. Notice the personal relationship here. God, it's all yours. The day is yours. The night is yours. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have set all the borders of the earth. You have made summer and winter. God, you've created it all. I acknowledge you have saved me. And God, I acknowledge that you are the creator of all things. Remember this. That the enemy has reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people, a foolish people, has blasphemed your name. Oh, do not deliver the life of your turtle dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have respect to the covenant. For the dark places of the earth are full of the haunts of cruelty. Oh, do not let the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy. Praise your name. You see, the psalmist makes a case against those who are speaking out against God. Remember your covenant? Could God ever forget his covenant? No. The word of God tells us he never will forget his covenant. And the psalmist remembers it and desires to see God's hand once again upon his people. Lift up the heads of your people, O God. You see, it's a great individual prayer that should be desired by the whole congregation. But God is now disciplining his children. So no amount of prayers is going to change that discipline. God warned them 70 years. The prayer to end it is not going to change the 70 years. They were warned. Arise, O God, plead your own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproaches you daily. Do not forget the voice of your enemies. The atonement of those who rise up against you increases continually. As the music team comes up, you see, Asaph places the responsibility back where it belongs. He prays that God would rise up and take care of the situation. And there were those who were speaking out against God in this obviously displeased a but as I already mentioned, but it was now God's discipline that was taking place. And no amount of prayers were going to change that fact. So as I mentioned earlier, guys, it's, it's best to avoid sin altogether. Now I know we sin. Everyone in this room has sinned this past week. Don't kid yourself. Myself included. So, it's best to avoid sin. But when sin happens, then it's best to repent. Very quickly. Right then and there. And say, God, I am so sorry. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might avoid this sin in the future. Because if not, the consequences will not be avoidable. The Bible clearly says God chastens those whom he loves. And so, for you and I, guys, we need to look at this, this psalm here, Psalm Psalm 74. And realize these people reap what they sowed. Has God changed? Nope. Is America going to reap what we sow? Yes. Are we a part of America? Yes. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. The best thing that we can do is continue to be right with God so that He will use us when it comes down. Because when it does come down, people are going to be looking for an answer. And who's going to have the answer? Our government? wake up you and I we're going to have the answer Father we thank you and praise you that the answer is your word and Lord you do discipline those whom you love and it is a bummer that it rains on the just and the unjust but your Bible says that and so here we are we live in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation and you may pull us out We pray that the rapture comes. But Lord, we may have to go through some trials and tribulations, some persecutions. We may see a recession or a depression. And who knows if we might not see war even in our land. We've been spared for so many years. But Father, as a country, we've forsaken you. Lord, may the remnant stay focused and not become a part of the compromise, the political correctness, the garbage that's taking place that's creeping into the church and infiltrating the church and making a mockery of the church. Lord, help us to take a stand and to remain steadfast until you do call us home, either individually or corporately. We trust your word we know that if we repent and if we turn to you, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you will take care of us, that you will use us for your Father's name. So we thank you for that, Father. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit even right now for your glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When we all stand, guys, God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you need to repent, come up. We will not condemn you, mock you, ridicule you, none of that nonsense. But if you need to repent, you have people up here that love you and would love to pray with you. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. God bless you guys. Have a great week.